Hello, welcome to Blades Pod. It's Tuesday, the nineteenth of March. My name is Ben. I have, of course, got Blades Analytics. Jay joining me to discuss this Leeds game. Uh, sorry, we couldn't bring this one out on Monday, but we wanted to make sure we had uh, enough time and enough functioning voice boxes to actually do justice to what is, I think, pretty pretty definitively our best win of the season so far. Uh, obviously, go back into second place in the championship table and, yeah, in very good shape heading into the international break. So I hope you enjoy this. A lot of detail on this game and uh, how we sort of think the rest of the season will go. And here we go. Well, welcome to the podcast once again, Jay. How are you doing? I am good. Um, lost voice after Saturday. So needed lots and lots of basically help with that because I was just too busy shouting at the television. Um, just, <laughs> yeah. Just... So, like, did we uh, did we beat Leeds this weekend? Is that did that actually happen? I did have to say to you, didn't I? I did DM you the next day and just say, "Did we beat Leeds yesterday? Did that happen? Like, was that a thing? Did I just dream it? Because it seems like it must have been a dream, right? Chris Basham scoring the winner at Ellen Road is a dream. <laughs> it was it's quite a bizarre dream, really. Chris Basham getting the winner, particularly based on his first half performance. But we could, we could get into that. I mean, last time we spoke, I you know obviously after the the Brentford game, and I sort of uh, tongue in cheek said, you know, that was our best win of the season. But hopefully, it'll only be our best win in the season for a few more days. And that's definitely how it proved, but um, yeah, I I did not expect us to win at Leeds. I thought we could win at Leeds, of course. You know, we're very good away from home. We are a, a very very good team. We, you know, for months you and I have been saying we are one of the best three teams in the league. But yeah, I I don't know. I thought I thought maybe we'd get out of this game with uh, with a draw, I suppose. But um, and particularly after the first like thirty thirty five minutes, I thought, oh, this is it's going to be really hard for us to uh, to get anything out of this game, to be honest. But yeah, we, we kind of got, got more and more into it. And um, as you say, Basham nicked what proved to be the winner. And uh, we leapfrog leads back into second place. And yeah, what a uh, what an incredible run we're on. And yeah, it's it's all suddenly back in our own hands again after saying, you know, last last time that it feels like we'll need to win every remaining game. Well, suddenly we have a, a very small bit of leeway. It is only a single point, of course. But yeah, we're back in the uh, in the driver's seat again. What a uh, what a time to be a blade. 100%. It's weird, isn't it? Because me and you were supposed to be the guys who look at the data and, and, and form some empirical evidence opinions from that. I mean, as it turns out, we've been the, you know, on the data, we've been the best team in the league all season. Mm. Yet me and you have always been a bit like, maybe not top two. Top six, yeah, maybe not top yeah. two. You know, it's, it's that blade mentality, isn't it? I, I know every fan has be. it. But it's that we United will find a way to mess this up. But I think Wilder said in a press conference prior to the Leeds game, you know, that's not this team. Mm. Uh, and, and you know, we'll get into the stats behind it the, on Saturday in a minute, but just the sheer balls and heart of this team and unrelentless, you know, unrelenting desire to not lose that game and win it in the end. I, I can't, in my lifetime, even under Warnock, I've not seen United teams like this that can go away to big grounds and big teams and do that. Yeah. Like we've done it at West Brom, we've done it, you know, with Brentford at home game with the 10 men. They've just, they've got something about them that makes you think these boys are going to do this and they know they're going to do it as well. Yeah, I mean, I think that's a really important point is that this comes off the back of playing 65 minutes with 10 men um, against Brentford midweek. And, you know, as we, as we kind of spoke about Brentford uh, and Wilder acknowledged it as well, Brentford are probably the worst possible team 
to play against with 10 men in terms of like you are going to have to run a hell of a lot because you're just going to have to be chasing the ball constantly as it's moved all over. So that was that was about as hard as 65 minutes. And obviously the massive uh, defensive effort, attacking effort as well to get another goal in that game. And then, yeah, to follow up against Leeds, who are, uh, I, I mean, I, I don't, you, you probably will know this better than me, but I believe they are one of, if not the best, pressing teams in the league. In fact, you said that last time, didn't you? They're like several yeah, they- levels above every other team. Levels, levels. If you look at the scatter graph between kind of the, the two pressing metrics, which is just the, the passes allowed per action, basically per dual defensive interception or tackle, mm. and then their actual rate of that, so how often they do that, it's they are, if you look at the scatter graph, they're in the top left-hand corner, far, far and above the lowest passes allowed. Basically, they get into you yeah. at every single opportunity. And if they, if they can't get into you, they force errors. Um, they are outstanding at it. Yeah. And the one thing that came out of this game was, quite frankly, as well, if we take away any of the, the bias or the celebrate, they are such a brilliant team. Mm. That, that's what made that win even better. They are a fantastic team. They like some things, but, you know, in terms of organisation and being well drilled, they are brilliant. So that just, again, it just added to that belief before the game, didn't it? I think some people privately probably thinking we may well have lost that one. At best, we're hoping for a draw. Mm. I, don't think many, I don't think many thought we were going to go to Ellen Road and win. No, I mean, I, I didn't, to be honest. I mean, uh, I can't remember if I said this last time or whether I said it to you privately, but if you remember a few weeks ago, I sort of said, this is the average points you need to finish above third. It was like 85, 86. And I kind of, I, I sort of mentally sketched out how I thought the rest of the season would go. And I, I had us drawing at Hillsborough, uh, getting six points from Rotherham and Brentford, and then losing to Leeds was what I said. So we're actually three points ahead of, even where where me the kind of quite a large optimist I suppose um, had us to be so yep. yeah it's pretty good but yeah so you know Leeds they give you no time on the ball you know they're by by um, by definition the the sort of most aggressive uh, pressing team in the league they're also the uh, second highest in terms of passes per game so they they always dominate possession so in terms of like the physical effort required to to play against them to defend against them. And uh, actually go and beat them at their own place. It just—that's it, almost a nightmare scenario. Actually, coming off Brentford, going into that. But there we it go. Is, yeah. We did it. And as you say, you know, even more credit to the players and and management that we were able to pull this off. But yeah. So just just before we go any further, then I'll just um, just quickly kind of recap the game, which you know it wasn't like a classic. I think I mean I listened to um, not the top twenty earlier, and they made the good point. It was. You know, it's kind of a, a good game for the neutral because it was on a knife edge like all the way through, and then you had some, you know, kind of freaky events happening as well within it, I suppose. But yeah, so the first forty minutes, I mean, thirty forty minutes, I suppose, all leads basically. We were just, you know, we didn't have a foothold in the game whatsoever. Um, I will say that Leeds, you know, they were not not sort of great with their shot selection. I didn't think, you know, there was there was a few times mm. Bamford shot from like a stupid angle on the volley instead of just you know trying to control it and play it to a teammate. There was uh, a pretty good chance for Harrison on the volley. It wasn't easy, but probably feel he should have hit the target. Uh, Roberts headed one wide, but again, not not an easy chance. The fact it sort of went quite close to the post kind of made it look a better chance than it was, but, you know, it was quite a long way out. Um, yeah, I thought the lead sort of got down the sides was a few times. We had uh, a good block by Egan off another Bamford shot. Um, but one thing that was happening was that Leeds were giving us the ball a lot in their own half, which actually became a, a sort of trend through the game, but... Yeah, we just couldn't take advantage of it. Um, I guess a lot of it was falling to Bastion, which, again, I want to talk about in a bit more detail. But, yeah, from from about 40 minutes, the kind of flow of the game really changed, I thought, and it became much more even. 
I know you've looked at this in detail, so we can come back to this in a moment. But yeah, McGoldrick had a good chance from a corner, which was actually, um, I think, percentage-wise, the best chance of the game, uh, according to Infogol. I'm not sure if that's... Uh, is that the same on your kind of uh, model as well, or was that something else? Yeah, well, I had the Pontus Janssen chance as the best mm. one. The, the the one where he missed in the second half when he was thrown up front on his one leg there, toughest yeah, player. Indeed. Um, <laughs> who, who, who headed the back of Billy Sharp and, and has never been seen since. Yeah, he was injured so three times in this game, actually, for a, a hard man, but anyway. Yeah. Um, but yeah, yeah, I mean, that's... That, that was that. I think. I think as well. Logically, that was probably the biggest chance of the game because the McGoldrick one was a header in a crowded box. Yeah. Distance-wise, doesn't really matter for me on headers. You know, that's not an easy situation to score from. Whereas the Janssen one is, is literally, he's got the whole goal to aim at and he stuck it wide. So. Mm. Yeah, fair enough. Um, yeah, there was a great bit of play just for half time from us. A sharp chested it off to McGoldrick. He beat his man and played this fantastic pass to Basham, who, yeah, in on goal and just just froze. Really, I, I mean. He sort of had an opportunity to shoot, then thought he'd try and take it round the keeper. And by that point, Leeds had loads of defenders back and he ended up just just squaring it to one of them. And yeah, it was a, such a big opportunity. But um, yeah, unfortunately, one he fluffed. Um, in the second half, Roberts hit the post for them. Again, quite a difficult chance, a good strike. Henderson probably would have saved it, I think. Uh, and then we went ahead ourselves. It was a, a long pass from Egan. McGoldrick flicked it on. Cooper, the Leeds defender, actually made two mistakes uh, mm. In terms of like one letting the ball get to Sharp and then two kind of letting Sharp sort of dribble it into him and not clearing it, but then a great layoff from Sharp and then yeah Basham arrives yet again sort of. <laughs> so I just watched an interview with him now. Actually, he said he basically slide tackled it into the net, which is yeah. essentially what he did. Kind of kind of fell over, which I don't know if that bamboozled the keeper or what. But yeah, it was a, a really good finish actually from about twenty yards. You would have thought it was hilarious. Basham it was twenty yarder wins Yorkshire derby. Who'd have thought it? That's um, what's hilarious because but Wilder said at half time after that first half chance at the end where he missed, he, he, Bash said that Wilder had said to him, "Why didn't you just shoot?" Yeah. He said, "So I'm looking to the ball after Billy laid it off, thinking just hit this Bash, yeah. just no matter what, just hit it." Yeah, and it was a, a really good finish. Um, at this point, as you say, Jansen was uh, basically playing as a forward because uh, he got injured tackling Basham, who almost got in again, uh, and he had that close range miss that you mentioned. I, I thought this was. Slightly harder chance than you've portrayed it there a little bit. Like the way it, the way it came to him, there's a lot of bodies around him. But yeah, to put it wide was pretty poor, I suppose. But then he was on one leg, I guess. Um, and then the kind of final action, uh, Cooper and Phillips both botched up a clearance as the game went into injury time. Sharp was in on goal. Casilla brings him down as clear red card. And uh, yeah, Janssen goes in goal, but didn't have to do anything. Uh, and yeah, we just saw the game out very comfortably from then on, to be honest. And uh, yeah, a, a fantastic win. And I think, yeah, if we want to sort of come on to some of the, the stats from the game, I mean, I want to be clear, this was not not exactly a smash and grab. I'm sure Leeds fans will sort of point to the fact they had more shots and, you know, that kind of thing. I think they probably slightly shaded the XG, I believe, from most of the things that I saw. But ultimately, yeah. not one single shot on target. We created uh, a couple of very good chances ourselves. And, uh, yeah, it, it, I think it, just an even tight game that could have gone either way. Very similar, really, to um, the way it went at Bramall Lane, where you know we we definitely felt um, that we should have won that game, and uh, you know yep. missed some really good chances, and their goal came from a, a horrific mistake. I mean, I, I think you know our goal on Saturday, yes, there was mistake in the lead up to it, but it was a much <laughs> a much uh, harder chance than that one, if you like. So. Yeah, I kind of feel both teams will feel they should have won the home games and uh, and ended up losing them. But yeah, I, I don't I don't feel at all that this was like 
daylight robbery or anything like that just because Leeds had more shots in the game. If you're not going to hit the target, you're not going to score a goal. And as I say, some of their actual shot selection was quite poor, I thought. Um, but yeah, do you want to uh, do you want to chip in there with anything uh, anything statistical that you wanted to call out? Yeah, so I, I've, I've, I mean, it's interesting you say that about shot selection. I mean, obviously we had some very, very key blocks and we'll, we'll get mm. to those individuals in a minute, especially early on. But it's quite interesting that you've hit the nail on the head, actually, without looking at the numbers. So they had 17 shots leads. And if you take their XG from in for goal, which was 1.23, that's that gives you an XG per shot of 0.07. So, all right, that's only an average. But what's that telling you? That That's quite a low XG per shot value. You know, yeah. you, you wanting, the blades normally are hitting something like 0 0.12, 0 0.13. You know, you, you want to be around that mark. United in this game had a, a 0.118 XG per shot. So there's a big difference there in terms of chance quality. Yeah, I, I guess just, just to chip in for anybody who's not sort of clear what that means, I suppose. So if you're saying it's a 0 0.07 XG, then it's basically 7% of the time that shot will hit the back of the net, which is a yeah, pretty that, low ratio. And that was their average. So yeah. I admit that they had some much higher ones than that. The Janssen one was, was really high, was the highest one in the game. But that's, you know, that's a really low average area to be shooting off. Mm. Uh, and ours was much higher. It doesn't sound like a lot, 7%, 11%, but there's a big difference there. Um, and obviously we didn't have a lot of shots. It's, it's, you know, not really a lot on our, our goal effort on goal. But it's a, it is a key pickup that you've had. I mean, I, I broke the game down into segments, which I, I think made logical sense. The first 30 minutes for me were, were all leads. Mm. Um so in that time, they had six shots, five in the penalty box, um, and three were blocked. And the reason I've, I've highlighted that is they were all key, key blocks. So Martin Craney blocked one from Pablo Hernandez, which was literally heading towards goal mm. um, from their breakaway in the first half. And, and that was, you know, I don't, I'm not sure Henderson would have saved that. There was a massive block there. O'Connell had a big block and Basham himself had a massive block and a, an interception as well. If you remember when they got in down the right-hand side, which they got in a lot down the first oh, 20 minutes. Yeah. And, and the ball was played across the box and it looked like their uh, attacking mid-click was going to come and just sweep it in the goal. Mm. And Bash just, he made up about 60 yards, actually. You look at the replay that Sky showed, they showed it from behind Henderson's goal. Yes. And Bash has stood next to McGoldrick in, in <laughs> Leeds' half and he just decides to chase back, which is just the reason that he was in the middle and we'll get onto that in a minute. But he literally makes up 60 yards just to slide and somehow toe-end this ball just out of Click's path. Mm. And then it rolls to Alioski, which I'm glad about because he's awful. And um, <laughs> well, he, he is, isn't he? Let's be honest, he's a little, just a horrible player. Yeah, and, um, I don't like him at all. No, nah, I mean, I, I quite like a shit out of me, but he's really not. He's annoying, you know. Yeah. So just, and, and it was just uh, an unbelievable. I think to be fair, there's been a lot said about Don Goodman and co commentary, but he picked it up and how vital an interception that was. But in that time, Leeds made 194 passes. We only made 77. Uh, we only had one shot in that time compared to Leeds' six, and that one shot was Norwood from about a million miles out. Yeah. And and 57 of their 194 passes were in the final third compared to our 35, so they completely dominate us. Mm. What the interesting thing was for me, and it's something you picked up on, which was losses of possession in that first 30 minutes. So we turned over the ball a lot, and Bash was the key culprit of that. We turned it over eight times in that first 30 minutes and Bash did six of them. Mm. That's a lot, and you can understand why Wilder was saying he was going to bring him off. Um, however, Leeds actually turned it over 15 times. Okay, so, in the same period? Yeah, in, sorry, 10. 10 times out of the 15 in the whole game. Right, so 10, okay. That first 30 minutes, that was more than us. 
and their key culprits were Luke Aylin at right back and Cooper at centre back. Mm. So I think what that showed is despite the fact they were in complete domination in the final third and attacking wise, they had errors in them at the back. You know, they were trying to play out and, and they were playing into areas and they were actually giving us the ball, like you rightly said, the, the McGoldrick chance to bash. That came from breaking up their play. There was a couple of times Stevens nearly got sharp in. Mm. But the interesting thing for me was the end of the first half. So minutes 30 to 45. I'm just going to read out some some numbers with no explanation because I think this is actually better than I even saw with my eyes. Yeah, go on. So in that time, Leeds passes 58, Blades passes 40. However, only eight Leeds passes in that 15-minute period were in the final third for us. However, we had 36 in the final third. That's the diff. That's a massive difference, isn't it? Yeah, that's much more the, like the United that we we know, I suppose. Exactly. Now, between the 40th and 45th minute, those final five minutes of the first half, we had five efforts at goal. <laughs> the first half actually ended with seven shots each, and we had 67 final third passes compared to Leeds' 65. Wow. So we just came on very strong for five minutes, basically, at the end of the first half. And yeah, could could have quite easily got a goal. There was a, a Basham had a header from a corner, actually, didn't he? That was sort of blocked. Yep. I mean, him on the arm, it's not a ball, but yeah, it was kind of yeah, yeah. blocked by the defender. Could have easily gone in the net. I mean, two two of the shots came from that little sequence, if you yeah. will. You know, it's not like we were creating shot after shot. But I think it's something that, you know, not the top 20 are great. They pick up on a lot more than what Sky do. And they did pick up on it, how good overall of a performance it was as a team. But I don't think many people have picked up on how well we ended that first half. Mm. For, for, the bat, for the battering that we took, I mean, at one point, there's, there's a measurement that the, um, a certain company can do, which measures basically formation height, so how, how high up the pitch you are playing. Now, yeah. Leeds, Leeds at their peak in that first half were playing 55 metres high, which is high. They were in our half, basically, mm. and all players were in our, our, our half of the field. In that final 10 minutes of the first half, we pushed them back to 38 metres. So we we dropped them nearly 20 metres back. So I guess the, the question is, because I couldn't personally pick up on this particularly myself, what, what do you think caused that? Or was it just like the flow of the game? We just just got a foothold. I mean, if, I, if I'm right, I think uh, that sort of spell of pressure came from a brilliant bit of individual skill on the wing by Stevens, which uh, yep. I'm glad United social media have, have called out as uh, sending the defender out for a pint of milk or whatever it is. Um, <laughs> and, then he, and then he played a great ball to Sharp, who he ends up getting blocked for a corner. And then, yeah, if I'm right, that leads to the Basham header, which leads to the McGoldrick header. So, yeah, but was there anything in particular you think that kind of led to that spell of pressure or was it just Leeds just couldn't clear it and we were able to get a foothold? Uh, there's only two things having watched it back numerous I've watched it back three times now yeah. and there's only two things that I saw really one was we did I say we bash particularly but we stopped giving the ball away as cheaply mm-hmm. and also because the pressure had kind of we'd seen it out if you will we'd seen that first flurry out they'd had their big moments and, and they'd kind of stopped and Leeds were giving the ball away at the back we were a- actually able to push up a little bit yeah so, I mean, I, I was I was I was going mental at home arguing with the Sky commentary. There's Don Goodman there saying how we've not seen the overlapping centre halves, and he's saying that as Jack O'Connell's got the ball at the left corner flag in the Leeds half playing passes. And I'm thinking, you're talking utter crap. He's on the ball now in the final third. You know, yeah, we we took a pace in. That's what happened. That was always going to be the way. Leeds were hyped up beyond belief. Mm. They're a pressing team. If they they're aggressive, if they can get after you early and score early, they probably win the game. Well, that because... was that was my fear, I guess, and yeah, I think I mentioned it on the last pod. Is like 
that we might get what happened to West Brom, where West Brom conceded after like 20 seconds or whatever it was. And, and that was it. That was the game, wasn't it? You know, a 4-0 yeah. was actually quite likely from that situation because they're pretty shell-shocked. And, you know, like you say, once Leeds are on top and you have no time on the ball and the crowd are up and they're dominating possession anyway, 1-0 after a minute can become 4-0 pretty easily. But, yeah, we hung in there. We managed to keep them at bay. little bit of fortune, as you say, with... Well, I don't know if you can call it fortune with a, with blocked shots. I mean, you can say that's great defending. You probably should say that, to be honest. But, yeah, just uh, <laughs> stuck in there. It's a bit of both, isn't it? It's great mm. defending positioning to be there, but it is a bit of luck because they weren't... It wasn't... The one thing that I made a point of on Twitter, and I want to be very clear about that, is some of that first 20 minutes was not good defending. Yes. It was desperate last-ditch defending. And you shouldn't have to be at that situation if, you, you, if you're a good defensive team. It's great that we could be, but I mean, there was a there was a time Pablo played a ball over the top on the right hand side, and we were just at sixes and sevens. You know, there was yeah. no shame. Was that the one where he switched it to the left, and they had like three players at the yeah. back post running into our box? Yeah, where Bamford took the shot on the angle that he spoke That's about. It, yeah, and it was just literally like who's picking up who. You know, Craney and Egan were having a not an argument, but a chat about where the hell they're supposed to be. Egan was trying to call Stevens in, and it was it was all a bit of a mish. Which, to be quite frank, if someone was running at me at the pace they were playing at the pace they were, I think panic stations do happen but to see to see that out I mean I like the phrase we grew in the game but the reason I've done those stats in in sectional time breaks is to show that we didn't just grow in the game we were actually very much equal if not on top of the game at the end of the first half and the confidence that that gave the guys you know as they're going back in thinking we've weathered these Mm. and admittedly you know I, I broke down the stats from the 40th to the 70th minute and I won't bore people. There's no real difference. Leeds edged it in terms of a bit more shots, a bit more passes in the final third, but we actually had chances. Baldock burst into the box. Norwood had a good chance that was laid off to him. Oh, yeah. He shanked it. McGoldrick seemed to be in the game a bit more. Um, so, we, you know, we had our play in that time period. It was quite close. And then we scored in the 71st minute. Mm-hmm. And then after that, it was, again, complete low block, Alamo, just to see that out. Yeah, uh, try and hit them on the counter, which is what most sides would have done at Leeds at one 0 up with twenty to go in that situation. But you, you can't, for me, you can't comprehend how important that last fifteen minutes of the first half was. Mm. Because if that if that first half is just a whole battering for us, we go in there and we're just thinking, what do we do? You know, we might have changed the shape, Bash might have come off or gone back to right centre half. Who knows what may have happened? Yeah, you know, Wilder was talking about maybe changing it up because of how bad it was going, and then you know you, you look at it and it. That, that end of the first half probably gave him enough to say, we've got enough here, boys. You know, they're giving us a chance on the counter. They're giving us a chance by turning it over to us. Just continue yeah. to play and have confidence. Yeah, definitely. I mean, maybe this is a good point to talk about Bashamachi because, uh, yeah, so Wilder said afterwards um, he'd been considering at halftime uh, a Bielsa substitution, he called it, and uh, <laughs> and taking Basham off at halftime uh, after about 20 minutes. And I have to say... I. I completely concurred with him at the time. I absolutely loved Basham, but I was like, oh my God, you know, every time he got the ball, he gave it away. I mean, not not literally every time, but to be honest, no, no. it was not far off. I'm just looking now. It's, yeah, it was um, six out of 12 passing in the first half, but two of those were basically simple square passes inside our own box. When he had, when he actually had the ball in their half, he gave it away. Yeah, what was that? Six out of uh, six out of 10 times, which is, is not yeah. great. And there was a lot of times where he'd actually won the ball and he was the one getting forward, but then he just it just made a really bad pass, like just terrible, looked, looked like not a footballer at all. I mean, it's, I, I imagine this has a bit uh, been used about loads of players, but Rob Kosluck was the first one where it came to my attention. But 
yeah, the saying about him was uh, is either tackling the person is just passed to or passing to the person is just tackled. And yeah, that's, <laughs> that's very much how I felt about Basham's first half. And I was like, this is like playing with 10 men at the moment. I know he's winning the ball a bit, but you know, we, we have the ball for like five seconds and then he's lost it again. What, you know, how is that contributing to this game? And I, if we were playing football manager, I would have subbed him off and done something different. And yeah, it was, it was kind of uh, it was kind of pleasing that Wilder had like considered that himself. But yeah, as it turns out, you know, Basham had a massive. Even if you take out the fact that he scored, he did have a big impact on this game. You mentioned defensively as well, but he was the one midfielder getting forward consistently. You know, he had that chance at the end of the first half where he ran onto a through ball. You know, he's way ahead of the strikers there. He's He's like 20, 30 yards ahead of the strikers when McGoldrick plays yeah. that pass. Goal itself, he's the one getting up with Sharp after a long, again, a long pass that McGoldrick flicks on. He's the only midfielder or wingback who ever getting forward. The one that Janssen ended up getting like properly injured from, he's the one that's bursting through again. I mean, by his own admission, he's a centre-half playing in midfield. I think this is the second time this season he's played in midfield, maybe the third time. Um, Sky put that one on, on, uh, on their screens and yeah, you could tell he was a centre-half playing in midfield, but he had an impact. You could say that ultimately it did work. He did what, I guess, what we were asking him to do, to be that a bit of steel, a bit of energy in the centre of the park. And, you know, maybe that's slightly more agricultural than, you know, Norwich or Leeds might might feel they are at their peak and certainly how we've been at time, most times this season as well. But, you know, horses for courses. We played the situation, played the occasion and... Uh, yeah, even we made it a tight game that we were able to nick, I suppose. So, yeah, I guess in the end you could say it was uh, it was effective. But yeah, for full disclosure, I messaged you at half time saying like, just bash him and some crying emojis. <laughs> yeah, you weren't the only one. To be fair, yeah. I had a Bob, I had a Bob Brown Twitter, and everyone was demanding Duffy or Dal came on the bash. So, mm. I, and I could understand that this is not a time for it. You know, I told you shows or anything, but I personally, I saw the plan. Yeah. So I, I agree. The turnovers were not part of the plan. Let's let's not pretend that that is that was an accepted part of the plan. If that would have continued, he would have been swept off, <laughs> you know. And it, it couldn't have continued because it was going to end in a goal, most likely. You know, he was going to give the ball away deep in our own half, and they would have broke on us, which is what they looked to do. But what I could see from Bash is I, I could see, as you just discussed, the running beyond the strikers. And at no point in this game was the plan to ever, I don't think, have a sustained period with wingbacks John Fleck and Norwood all in Leeds' half. Mm. that was never the setup for two reasons one because it's hard to do that to Leeds and two because of the Brentford game the legs just would not have sustained that that level of you know running up and down that line would they wouldn't have sustained that we were always going to play mid to low block and, and look to burst when we could and, and Bash is the best player in the team for doing that Yeah, he, he's got this extraordinary giraffe-like quality to gallop <laughs> forward and, you know, it, it's uncoordinated and it's not the most skillful, but it is full of heart and desire and it's hard to track. I mean, he, his goal sums it up. He's, again, so this is the brilliant thing about Bash. That interception I described earlier, he was about 50, 60 yards behind play and caught up with it to mm. make a vital part of that play. Then on the chance in the first half, he's about 40 yards behind play as McGoldrick takes it down. And then he bursts past McGoldrick and Sharp into space yeah. at full pace. And no one tracks him because he's the only one who's thought to make that run. Then for the goal, as soon as it looks like Sharp's won that ball, Bash is literally at the edge of our box, by the way, at this point. Mm. And he makes up again 45, 50 yards again to get on the end of it in space. And no one tracks him because, again, it's not that they're lazy. No one's even thought that Sharp's going to get that ball and that I need to be in that space to block it. Bash is literally making a gamble because... 
he knows that he has to. You know, that, that's what he's there to do. He was there to to put the legs, to put the heart, to put the energy in and basically try and break play up and get on the end of things on the other side. It sounds agricultural, as you described perfectly, but it worked. Yeah. And, you know, as much as he was gave away the, the ball the most, he also had the most interceptions in the game. Two of them were in our own penalty box, so mm-hmm. they were vital. He had the most touches for us in Leeds' penalty box, more than Sharp, more than McGoldrick. You know, so what we're talking about here is a player who played to his strengths. His strengths yeah. is not getting hold of the ball and keeping it. His strengths is winning the thing and getting on the end of things in the other box because he's got the most energy on the pitch. And against a team like Leeds, to say he was the one who had the legs and desire to get there is a big compliment to him. Definitely. And we, we are at that stage of the season now uh, without straying too far into cliche, but it is a, it's an any means necessary kind of thing, isn't it? You know, of course it is. Just get there. I mean, we've talked about it before. We are at the stage of the season where points do matter more than performances. You know, yeah. obviously, obviously if you play well, the results are more likely to come. But, you know, if we have to defend for 65 minutes against Brentford, get away with three points, brilliant. If we have to play, you know, slightly more conservatively low block in this game against Leeds and get the three points, job done and if we have to do the same thing in our next eight games then uh yeah we'll we'll get promoted and yeah that's that's all we need to do i suppose just uh keep playing the occasion you know obviously try and play as as well as we can and take care of business that way but yeah it's it's not like oh we need to go out and play beautiful flowery football for 90 minutes at this point you know just just get the job done you know and I, I think also that that's something we have seen more and more this season that that we didn't see last season, that level of pragmatism and, you know, I was just, go on. I was talking about, I was just, I was just about to say that level of game management. I think that's where you were going with that, which is, and it falls into, I'll let you go, you know, talk about the clean sheets in a minute, but it falls into that clean sheet mentality. And it's, put it this way, to to cover that whole statement up, if Leeds would have had to have sustained the amount of pressure and attackiveness, attackiveness, you know, against them that we did, they would no way have kept a clean sheet. Hmm. I think that's fair to say because they didn't have to sustain that much and still conceded through errors. Yeah. Whereas in two games now and more, because West Brom was similar, you know, but if you take Brentford and Leeds in isolation, we have been, I wouldn't say dominated, but we've been absolutely plastered all over our own box with crosses, with shots, with interplay, we've thrown bodies in the way, we've defensively covered space as well. We've basically done everything you need to do to keep the ball out of the net. And that's, that's something that Leeds or Norwich don't seem to have. Mm. And and when you've got fixtures like Preston away and Birmingham away still to come and Stoke away, you know, hard teams, but, you know, on paper, maybe we should be beating them because we're above them in the table. We clearly have good or if not better players. Then the one thing that I'm taking real heart from is the fact that we just went to Leeds and kept a clean sheet. And uh, if you can do that at Leeds, you can pretty much do that anywhere in this league, I'd say. Yeah, I'd say so. Yeah, as you say, a uh, another clean sheet. I think it's now 10 and a half hours since we conceded a goal. Um, which is is madness. I mean, we've still not conceded since Aston Villa away. I mean, <laughs> what can you say? Seven wow. league clean sheets in a row. Um, two Brexit, two Brexit votes, as Colin Murray says. <laughs> That's excellent. Um, I mean, we we mentioned him there, and we've, we you know we're talking kind of pragmatism, I guess, and, and game management. But I, I got to shout out Billy Sharp and his effort in yeah. uh, in this game, but also in in Brentford as well, I suppose. Um, obviously, he came on as a, a, a later substitute against Brentford. He only played, what, maybe 25, 30 minutes, something like that? I think he was, yeah. wasn't it? Yeah. Um, so he has had, I just went and quickly checked this, he's had one shot in those two games combined, and that was the sort of uh, the block off the Stevens pass that I mentioned earlier. But his value and contribution, particularly against Leeds, 
absolutely immense. I mean, obviously set up the winning goal, but you know, just in in getting us up the pitch. I know you po- you posted on Twitter actually his heat map. He was everywhere. He just you know worked his socks off. And you know we, we've talked before about Sharp of like I think maybe more last season than this, but you know if he if he's not getting chances, then how much value does he give to the team in terms of like the other things he does, like his hold up play, his ability to kind of you know drop in in the way that McGoldrick does. But this was just like peak sharp apart from actually getting the chances and scoring them the yeah the the effort he put in the the value you know the way he held the ball up he panicked defenders and uh yeah culminated in him um setting up what proved to be the winning goal and you know getting the Leeds goalkeeper sent off as well when he was I mean <laughs> you put your house on him scoring in that situation yeah, if yeah. it got round the keeper I think but yeah I just wanted to call that out because it was you know it's it's not something that particularly shows up on the on the stat sheet, I suppose. You know, he, he didn't score, he didn't have a single shot in this game, but it was just a, a, a really, really good performance from him, I thought. Yeah, it was the perfect centre-forward away display. Mm. You know, and, it, and and he shouldn't be that type of striker, should he? Not really. You know, because of his size, because of his stature, and, and without being, you know, ages, because of his age, there is an assumption that Billy won't be as mobile, couldn't put the pressure on, is literally a player you have when you're on top of the game because he's great in the penalty box, but... He's not a link-up player. He's not fast. He's not tall. So what else can he do? Well, that's just utter crap, basically. Yeah. You know, I think Billy's getting better with age. I think he's fitter than ever. He gave Janssen and Cooper nightmares mm. because every lost ball, he, and it's not just lost ball, but every lost ball he chased, every ball that was anywhere near him, he got hold of and kept. And, he, you know, he tried to link play. I mean, he only had three touches in their penalty box, but he had 24 overall. Mm. So that's 21 touches outside of the penalty box, Billy Sharp. I mean, in other games, that wouldn't be a good thing. You'd be saying he was too involved. Yeah, true. <laughs> you know, he's too out on the right or left touchline. And there was a lot of times he was on the left touchline trying to link play with Stevens, And it was basically out of necessity to try and keep the bloody ball. Yeah. You know, and it, it, he realised that. But that's, you know, it sounds simple, but that, that's serious game intelligence and leadership from him to realise that we're struggling. We're just, you know, that first 30 minutes, we're struggling to keep the ball. He needs to drag the centre-backs away, you know. And let's not forget, because he was out on the left touchline when McGoldrick set bash away in the first half mm. the actual space was there because sharp wasn't yeah the whole defense had shifted over didn't it? there was there was nothing on the left center of their defense at that point exactly and then the goal you know yeah it wasn't it was clever movement because he dragged cooper out to the touchline which had created vacated the space already and then he pressurized the mistake out of him just like yeah. he pressurized brentford for the corner for our second goal on in midweek you know yeah. this is i don't have access to stats bomb pressure data but He's the type of person who would be high in that type of thing because it's not on the ball, it's off the ball. Yeah, yeah. That, that was incredible, actually, with the goal. I don't know if... Did it just come from a corner? Where the hell was Pontus? Because like, I've been watching it and basically, yeah, you've got you've got Cooper one-on-one with Sharp and then there is, is literally nobody for the like 80% of the width of the field and Basham just runs into the space and scores. And you know, then you see Janssen enter the screen after that. So, yeah, they, I mean, defensively all over the place at that point and we were able to... You know, exploit those big moments, I suppose, um, which yeah, generally I, we've done all season. Absolutely, and I think we could just leave where is Pontus as a general thing for the game. <laughs> but I mean, I mean, no, but seriously, it's, it's interesting because you know, Bash turned the ball over ten times, yet you know, we're getting this almost label. I guess for the people who don't watch Sheffield United a lot, there could have been a label in the last couple of games that we've been quite you know low block and maybe a little bit dour defensive type. Yeah, but Bamford turned it over the second most in the game in terms of nine times. Mm. So really, it it was fine margins. It really was. They had a lot of play and a lot of good play, and, and certainly for the first half an hour, Pablo looked unplayable. 
You know, Which he sort of is, as we talked about last time. He's a, he's a fantastic player. There's no shame in having an ex-Champions League you know, quarter-finalist Basham not being able to pick him up. Yeah, <laughs> you know, I'm, not, I'm not just singling out Basham, but Bash, Martin Crane, you know, these free transfers from West Brom and a couple of hundred grand from Blackpool or whatever. Is he, there's no shame in that. It's, it just weighs what it is. But we also pressured them well. And our defence, you know, I, we could spend all day, couldn't we, going through every single player. and we Maybe we'll do the player ratings or something, but... The defence was brilliant, the mm. way it held out. But the, the the one I just want to call out individually on top of that is someone who I didn't call out on Twitter, which is Ender Stevens. Yes, I'm glad you brought that up. Go on. And just how extraordinary he has come on and how good of a game he had. Under the radar, probably, because mm. for, for a left wing back in our system to look like a man-of-the-match type performance, and I'm not saying he was, but to look like that, he probably, we have to attack a lot, you'd think, wouldn't you? Yeah. Yet, Stevens was literally our key to this game. So, four dribbles he completed. Two of them were in the opposition penalty area, including one little shimmy of his feet on the touchline, you know, that nearly set up that cross, which was just, you know, with a keeper right on top of him and the defenders, mm. I just no idea how he did it. He had seven tackles, which was the most for us, two in our own penalty box. I think it was the most on the pitch, wasn't it? It was, yeah. I think it was yeah. six was the next one we know. 39 p- passes completed, which was the most in our team. Mm-hmm. 60, 63 touches which was the most in our team and only three of them he gave the ball away were turned over six blocks which was most in the team and five of them were blocking crosses which is key because Leeds actually put in some good crosses and met a lot of them Yeah, you know we have quite demanding commanding centre half so it was key to block them he had the most final third passes for us as well in essence in this game to get out of pressure we gave the ball to Ender and he either kept it or dribbled around someone mm. which y- you cannot comprehend how an important an out ball is against Leeds you have to have someone who is composed enough to take it to have a run at the opposition to beat a man to play neat little passes and keep the ball just that level of composure in a big game like that was unreal for me yeah no I agree and yeah it's this evolution into a you know proper a, a proper defender I guess you know the contrast between what we saw from him last season where he you know is getting beat by Snodgrass and you know out of position against um uh, Morrison, I think it was for Millwall for that goal at, at Bramall Lane near the end of the season. Whereas now, I mean, I was I was thinking about this the other day because I saw I think it was just a, a random it was sort of a throwaway comment, but it was just saying about like you know we should really appreciate every every game for the rest of the season, which I completely agree with because he says like um, you know this might be we might not see some of these players in United colours for much longer. You don't know what happens at the end of the season, and it, it did cross my mind that Stevens might be the he's possibly in the conversation as most likely to be picked up by a Premier League club if we didn't get promoted in the summer because his performance levels have just gone through the roof and you know he's Uh, playing a slightly unusual position he obviously started as a left back and we've converted him into a left wing back and yeah yeah, now he's you know proper player of the season contender among about seven or eight other players I guess yeah that's going to be so hard yeah I I, I agree I I think the only thing and it's not again it's not an ageist thing but because Premier League clubs tend to try and buy from the championship if they're under 26 or yeah you know it it seems to be like that then that that might be the only thing that counted against him because I'd imagine we would want a significant amount of money for him um but he's unbelievably key I can't imagine a Sheffield United team succeeding without him in. I know we've won games with Marvin Johnson there and Kieran Dowell played there once, you know. But over a sustained period of games, any Sheffield United team is only better with Ender Stevens in it. And he's a key cog in that team, as key as Norwood, as key as, you know, O'Connell. He, he's got to that level now, hasn't he? Where he's in that tier, that top tier for us of three or four players, which 
our strongest eleven always has to have. Yeah, I think so. It's just that development. I mean, I think in uh, like in, in NBA they call it a two way play. You know, someone who's great attacking yeah. and defending, and obviously that's yeah. massively important part of that sport as well as as well as football. And yeah, going into this season and after the first couple of games, I would have said Stevens is a like top five left wing back attacking wise, but major question marks over his defensive play. Now I don't know. Find find me a better defensive left back. You know, I can't. Than, I can't. Yeah statistically or opinion wise it's it's almost impossible i think at this level anyway i can't i mean the only so jamal lewis at norwich is good um but i don't think he can do half of what ender can do mm. i'm not sure he's good, he's good defensively and also don't forget that quite often stevens is in our top two or three players for passes on completed and touches on the ball yeah he's not like just a pacey young dynamic left back you know he doesn't just burst into space and whip a ball in he's actually massively part of our build-up play yeah definitely he's very, he's very technical he's very intricate he's extremely strong i think he's got faster and fitter this year i, I think you can physically see that in his stature and his appearance he looks fitter and more muscular you know, you know not heavier but in terms of ripped up i think actually he's probably he looks leaner mm. you know and he's just he just seems to be getting better i think he's he's probably going to be island's first choice left back from now on mm. which you know can only add to his confidence and his ability it's I, his development is unreal, and it was. It was. I, thought, I saw someone tweet out just like a couple of his highlights, and just say, "How good is Ender Stevens?" Yeah. <laughs> when did he get that? I saw a Portsmouth fan comment like, "When did he get that good guy?" <laughs> and it's like, well, to be honest, the whole of this season he has been utterly magnificent. Yeah, yeah. Certainly after those first couple of games, it was a little bit, a little bit out of it, I suppose. But yeah, it's, it's the Chrissy Wilder and Alan Nil effect in uh, in in perfect concert there. I think. Um, th- there's one other incident I think we uh, we we should pay some uh, attention to just in the interest of balance. I think first half George yeah. Baldock probably yeah. should have been sent off. I think. What do, what do you reckon? It's it's Jansen, Jansen goes down like a peacock, you know, trying to float his feathers, doesn't he? But it, it's a it's a red card for I hate the word, but it's it's the intent, the foot raise. He's out of control. Yeah, it, it was a, it was a you know, and he, I think George tried to make out a motion that he went with the side foot. He didn't. It was studs up, and there'll be people out there screaming at us for saying this, but it's a red card in the modern day football. It just is. Yeah, you've you've nailed it there. In in that like modern day football, it's a it's an out of control, potentially dangerous tackle. You know, he sort of goes if not over the ball, then kind of around and over it. And uh, the only well, I know this didn't save me. You could see on the ultra slow mos, he does start to pull out, which is. He does. Pontus Janssen, I think. But that doesn't change the fact that if the referee had sent him off there, I would have not complained even remotely, I think. Like, watching it in real time, the second he started to dive in, I was like, oh my God, this yeah. is going to go terribly. Yeah, it just uh, reminded me of like uh, maybe Fleck against Bristol City last season. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There might have been a, another couple as well that kind of made me like go, oh God. Um, if I mean, I, I don't know. I'm probably ascribing a narrative to this, but I did wonder if the Leeds reaction to this actually may have affected the referee in a different way because i it's interesting you say that because i was thinking the same because normally you see the something happen like that and the players go mental for the ref and it, it, if anything the home crowd and the players doing that pull the ref into more of a red card decision mm. you know what i mean they feel that peer pressure but in this one because alioski was at the front doing the stamp motion and mm. cooper was doing, and they were so at the ref that i think the ref you know thought he saw a yellow and, and was basically like piss off you know yeah <laughs> I, i'm yellow card no matter what you're motioning I'm not going to change my mind just because you're doing it I, I kind of agree with you there. yeah I, yeah just to talk about Alioski I mean I, I can't think of a, a less wilder like player than him I mean 
<laughs> just, just, just like a, a horrible piece of work. Just like, you know, just falling over constantly. Like you say, he was trying to get Baldock sent off, you know, making that sort of stamping gesture. Loads of times asking for yellow cards. It was a time, uh, I don't know who it was. It might have been, it was either Sharp or Stevens. It was someone down the left and, you know, it, it fouled Alioski and you could see Alioski motioning to the linesman, like, that's three times. Like, are you going to book him yeah. or what? And I just thought, like, you know, just go away, mate. <laughs> you know, it was more, more, more strong words were used than than that at the time. But yeah, uh, yeah I just thought, play the bloody game, lad. You know, your your team's really, really good. That's why you're at the top of the league. You don't need to be doing this. He was the one as well, wasn't he? He was the one who was giving it Dino at the end. Um, yeah. You know, which was wrong because they were just sore losers, frankly. I I, I understand. I mean, I'll, I'll let you come on to a very important bit in a minute, but I understand that. Henderson especially may have gone, I wouldn't say over the top, but was quite pumped for the win. And yeah. again, I'll let you come on to that in a minute, but there was reasons why, and they were bloody valid reasons why he was pumped and why he should be able to give some back. And for him to come niggling over and trying to start, it, it was quite clear that Dino was pumped and what they were trying to do is trying to get him sent off after the game. Yeah, I mean, Henderson's was... pumped after every game, isn't he? <laughs> every yeah. goal and every game. Oh, but, yeah. yeah. But, uh, but the, yeah, according to Patrick was, Bamford, we're not allowed to celebrate uh, winning. I mean, that's, I, know, I, get, I get that, that he's just playing, and we've all been, and he's just yeah. playing because he's just trying to increase the pressure on us and he's trying to get opposition teams to want to play better against us. Mm. He's just talking shit. He's talking nonsense, really. <laughs> yes, to be fair. Wilder, Wilder before the game said, this is not the most important game of the season. It will be big, but it will not dictate promotion. And I think we've both seen all the projection models and percentages, and it would have done if Leeds would have won. It would have probably been over. But, yeah. you know, Wilder was playing it down. And yet their big lump of a centre-half, who isn't a big lump at all, was saying it's the biggest game of their lives, not just season. I mean, that's mm. a big... He's played for Sweden at a World Cup, I believe. So that's, that's, a, that's a huge statement. Um, yeah. you know, and, and they were hyped up, sold out Ellen Road. And you know what Leeds are like. They got like it before Norwich as well, with this whole Spygate thing. And, and Norwich complained and they ended up getting battered there as well. And I think Wilder actually sat down with Colin Murray after the game for Quest and he, he touched on a good point and it didn't get raised enough for me, like nowhere near enough on Sky, which was United and Norwich, when they went there, got the balance bang on. They yeah. were they were pumped enough to know that it was a big game, focus, concentration, but not overhyped. You know, you can maybe say the ball up tackle was out of control, but it wasn't for aggression. It was for trying to win it. Um, and, and other than that, we didn't really didn't really use the game plan. You know what I mean? We focused on the game plan. Whereas Leeds lost themselves now in two big games because they were too pumped. Yeah. No, I think and, so. And, and, and that, that plays into that, doesn't it? The whole, you know, two pump, the atmosphere, the Alioski thing. It was all, all just too hyped up, whereas we were just completely in the game plan. Completely. Yeah. And, and Bamford saying that, he, he's crazy because we played a bit of music. We've, we've played it all season. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Is that what it was? So we, we had the temerity to play some music after the I, game? I believe, I believe, you know, I'm not going to quote for quote, but I believe it was something along the lines of, you know, celebrating quite wildly on the pitch, which we've just won at Ellen Road. Not many teams do that. No. Second. That's, yeah, I'd celebrate that too. And then we, yeah. we played, you know, we were loud in the change rooms, playing a bit of music loudly and shouting loudly. Well, we've done that many a time this season. Yeah, many, many a time won't be the first won't be the last it, it's what every single team does so he's talking up bollocks really and it, if anything he's frustrated because he had a pretty poor game and he was in the back pocket of O'Connell and Egan yeah definitely um, I just want to talk about that Pontus Janssen tweet because uh, <laughs> well I can't I can't find it anymore which is the point but <laughs> essentially uh, I, I, the phrase he used was uh, 
It, it was basically a call to arms when it was uh, yeah, you know, yeah. Phil Phil Ellen Road an hour before pick, uh, kick off. So you know uh, the ground's full when the players are warming up. You know we want to create a special atmosphere. Um, for some of us, it's the biggest game of our lives. Is what he said. It's biggest a huge game. statement with nine games to go. It is. I, I was so you know when I saw it, I was like, yeah, fair enough. That's, that's kind of cool, I suppose. He's since deleted it. This is what bothers me. Why delete it? Like, Makes come it on, man. You lost. Yeah, but like. You know, I, I don't think his statement is invalidated just because they lost the game. Like you say, there's eight know. games to go. I mean, they may still end up in an automatic spot. I just thought, I just thought it was pointless deleting it. I, I think much less of him now that he's got rid of it. It's like yeah. you, lost, you lost a tight game of football. It happens. It happened to us at Bramall Lane when you played us. Like I don't he's know. Made it, he's made it worse for himself. He's made it worse for himself because it looks worse the fact he's deleted it. And obviously, thousands of blades have screenshot it. Oh yeah, thousands. I mean, the, the tweet literally says spread this to anyone who's got a ticket for Saturday. Yeah. You know, it's like, make sure I, as many people as possible see this and then I'm going to delete it if we don't win. It's just, it's, why delete it? Leave it out there and then put another one out afterwards. You know? Yeah. We perform well on Saturday. You thanks know, for we, your, you know, great thanks, atmosphere yeah, and your support. your support. We'll, we'll, we'll fight to the end. Something that all footballers do on their social media. It's just silly, silly. But again, it, it shows how how pumped and hyped up they were before the game. And I know sometimes we say this, and if they lose, that's why we use it as a reason, maybe. If they win, we say that's why they won, because they were yeah. so passionate. But I get that narrative. But I think it does play into it, you know, that, that, because no Blades players were saying, you know, we have quite active people on social media. No Blades players were sending anything like that. No. Uh, and I think also pre-match from kind of like the lead up from Wilder as well. You know, he kind of jokingly said, "Oh, we've got a fairly big game coming up, haven't we?" And yeah, you know, it was, it was you know obviously he was being tongue in cheek. He was, but essentially was playing it down, like making light of it, like you know. And as you said afterwards, it doesn't it doesn't actually end the season either way. To be honest, I mean, it it would have made a massive difference if we had lost, though. It's worth pointing yeah. that out. Like that keeps us. Yeah, I think the uh, it's Ben Mayhew, isn't it? He had his uh, his model had his. Uh, I think it would have been twenty-five percent chance of automatic promotion if we'd lost, and with the win, it goes up to about sixty-six. So a huge well, I mean, just, swing on that. I just want to just briefly just go 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 why that model has got such a big swing now. Mm. Um, you know, and, and I think a lot of people, maybe even me, thought maybe looking at the fixtures of us and Leeds left, they're very similar, but maybe Leeds have got an easier running. And actually, as results are turning, their running is getting harder and harder. Aston Villa go to Ellen Road. They've got Aston Villa at Ellen. They've got to go to Brentford. They've got to go to Birmingham. Um, they've got to go to Preston. I know we have to go to Preston and Birmingham as well, so you can cancel both those two out almost and say you've both got those. They're hard. They've got Millwall and Wigan, who are both at home, so you'd expect them to win. Um, you know, I, I won't even say they're both fighting for points or whatever. Leeds will beat those two teams, I would imagine. Mm. But then, as you say, they've got Aston Villa to come at Ellen Road. They've got Wednesday to come to Ellen Road. And yeah. as much as I can't believe I'm saying this, they are on fire and flying. And that, you know, it's that is not an easy game. And, and Villa is becoming one of the hardest games in the division at the minute. So yeah. suddenly a point at Hillsborough is looking better by the week, isn't it? I mean, I, I still I still don't, don't think they've beaten anybody above 14th no. in this run, I believe it is. And, you know, the real uh, test of their ability will come in the next few games. But yeah, I mean, as we said before, uh, good luck to them. I, I hope they do beat Norwich and Leeds and uh, you know, end up in the playoffs and uh, we go up automatically because I, I think those two things will, uh, yeah, occur simultaneously if uh, if one of them occurs, if you like. Yeah, I hope you'd hope so. But I mean, you know, you look at our fixtures, take Preston and Birmingham out, which we both know Leeds have got. We've got Bristol City at home. Okay, a top 10 team, but quite frankly, in terrible form. 
and they are ex- extremely streaky, as we, I've discussed on this pod before. They can win. Seven also, we're pretty good at home. I think it's fair to say. And, and agreed, not Forest at home, which I'll be honest, unless they go and win three in a row, their playoff hopes are probably out by the time we play them on the nineteenth of April. I mean, you, you don't, you can't be sure of that in this league because it's nuts. But you know, I, I think they're good but inconsistent, and we're good at home again. Mm. And then Hull away, Stoke away, Millwall at home, Ipswich at home. I, I like them, our chances. Any of them scare you? Not me. No, I mean, there's only really... Preston yeah, away. There's Preston. only Preston away that I'd be worried about. And I think I said in my... To return to what I said about like kind of predicting the rest of the games, that was one I said we'd lose. That was about a month ago. They're not that good at home. I know they're on this great... I think it's a 11-game unbeaten run now. might be 12. Um, but their home form is not amazing. Obviously, we're going to have uh, 5,500 blades there now. I was sold out yesterday, which is a amazing effort considering it's not for three weeks um so yeah it should be you know they'll not lack for support in that one but it doesn't it doesn't scare me i mean if i had to pick one of these games to say this is the one we're most likely to lose it would be that one but and you know obviously it's the championship you don't know what's going to happen but yeah yeah, the the rest of them we will be we will be pretty big favorites in the rest of them i think i mean yeah you know eight games to go for home, that we'll we'll probably take max. I mean, I say probably. I'm, I'm jinxing it. I know, but I think we'll take maximum points at home. I, well, I, I, I think don't. We should do based on what we've seen this season. I believe we're the best home team in the league now. I, I think looking at it, but I, and the thing is, I couldn't say that Leeds will. And I'm not just saying that because I'm biased towards Sheffield United. Could you? Could I honestly sit here and say right now Leeds are going to beat Villa on both their current four? Mm. I, I couldn't. I think Villa, you know, I called Villa when they were in 10th making the playoffs. I think they'll continue to win most games for the rest of the season. I think they're brilliant. They've, yeah. got, they've got the best player in the championship back. Yeah. And I, I don't like him, but he is. Jack Grealish is the best player in the championship and he makes everyone else better around him. So I actually think Villa will go up. So, yeah. you know, so that's probably one of the hardest games in the season you could have at this point. Consider the fact that they've got the Preston away fixture. We've just said we might lose anyway. And I don't think it's any big difference to say they might beat Leeds. They beat Norwich 3-1 at home. Yeah. The Wednesday at home, you know, and then the Brentford away, which pff, I know West Brom went and won there at the weekend, but Brentford away isn't easy for anyone. No, definitely not. So it's, you know, I, I think that that is, you know, I guess the point we're making without trying to assume too much is that percentage swing, the reason it looks so big is because actually looking at current form, Leeds is running is, is as difficult, if not more difficult than ours. Yeah, I think, yeah, I mean, what we're not saying is United are going to win, like, what would it be, yeah. like, 15 straight games to end the season? Like, that's pretty unlikely. But, um, but yeah, but, I mean, you know, there's no reason to sit, to think that we can't uh, match or exceed Leeds' point total for the rest that's of the, the season. Key. And that is all we need to do at this point. That's it. That's the key for me. Yeah. I think we can match Leeds' point total for the rest of the season. And, yeah. and obviously, the, the key to that is going to be in what sequence? Because obviously, if we slip up and they go above us, the pressure turns towards the chase. I, I don't, I don't get this whole you've got pressure if you're in second. I think that's with eight games to go, that's crap. I think you've got the pressure if you're in third. Yeah, and obviously, you know, this United team, most of it, and all the management team, have uh, a lot of experience of being in the box seat. You know, as recently as a couple of years ago, and yeah, <laughs> we ended the season that time winning like six or seven in a row and getting the 100 points and stuff. So, yeah, uh, what pressure, basically. Bring that bring that absolutely on. I'm, I'm more than happy to be second and third at this point. And I think you're, uh, you're, you're kidding yourself or trying to play mind games if you think otherwise, to be honest. Um, just just to round off, I mean, I do want to just quickly say I, I don't think uh, that Leeds will be falling apart. 
at all. You know, no, no, no. You know, Janssen, they're saying he's out for three weeks, so probably misses max two games because obviously we're into an international break. Uh, Casilla, the goalkeeper, is only going to miss one game because it's a uh, professional foul rather than dangerous play. So, I mean, I know that makes the Millwall game a bit trickier because of the way that Millwall play, you know, the amount of set-piece goals they get and the fact that the way they load the box and that kind of thing, you know, you're going to have to go with a... Uh, well, from what I gather of uh, Peacock Farrell, he's not viewed hugely highly. You know, he's a young goalkeeper, uh, had a few mistakes. He is this not. So, he is yeah. not. I've seen some outcry, quite frankly, that they're going to have to go for him. You know, Leeds are quite reactionary fans, I think. Mm. It's fair to say. Um, and I have seen some outcry, which is wrong. He's actually a good shot stopper. He's just not that good at dominating his box as a young keeper. That's what they do. But I think you've made a, a, a good point. Again, I don't want to waste too much time on the fixtures and that, but. Janssen's a big part of their aerial assault. You know, he's good at set pieces. He leads a scored a lot of set pieces. He's good at that, and he's good at defending them as well. And, and they've got Millwall next, mm. who will probably be a bit down after the FA Cup, you know, considering they were there and then they weren't. But that's um, that's, that's an interesting game, I think. You know, uh, Leeds are going to get peppered, and they're, they're going to be slightly depleted. So mm. let, let's let's just see. Let's see. Let's see what metal they have. I guess so. Yeah, I just I just think the way they the way they play, you know, they they never stop running is what I've seen from these two games with them, you know. Oh, they are brilliant. Yeah, and the amount of effort they put in, yeah, I don't I don't see them dropping points at like a higher rate than they already are, which obviously is not particularly high. So, yeah, it's uh, it's going to be on us to uh I, I'm not expecting any favors from Leeds, put it like that. No. Although as you say, it's very reasonable to think that we could uh match or better their points total for the rest of the season, which yeah, if we if we do Oh, I don't want to think that far ahead yet. Let's not think that far ahead. Let's just enjoy where we are at the moment because it's a it's a pretty nice place to be, I think. Um, can, I, can I just say, in our, just finish that little segment of fixtures and whatever. Points per game, last eight games, Leeds are averaging two points per game. Mm-hmm. Sheffield United are averaging 2.5 points per game in the last eight. Mm. I fancy us to pit then. Hopefully. Two points a game is generally a barometer for promotion in itself. So, yeah, there are, Leeds will obviously be hoping that... Uh, yeah, we we slip up at some point, but yeah, hopefully not. Um, so yeah, we're into an international break now, and uh, I don't know. Just quickly before we finish, yeah, what were your thoughts on this? Because personally, I feel this comes at a very good time for us, and I'm quite happy to have a little break from uh, from what has been, to be honest, quite a tense few weeks. Being a United fan, I mean, if you if you look at the last five games, we had West Brom away. Very tough game, you know, uh, there was all the question marks, can we win at a, a top six team? Well, we did. Then we had uh, Sheffield Derby, obviously, massively nervous, tense occasion. Then we had Rotherham, which, again, you know, another local derby, not an enjoyable game because they just played so defensively. And yeah, it was almost like, oh my God, if we don't win this, it's going to be an absolute disaster. <laughs> Brentford was, you know, it felt like it lasted about four hours that game. And then Leeds, which is like like the same, basically a, a combination of all four of those previous games rolled into one. So yeah, as a fan, I'm I'm kind of glad to just have a little break before the home straight. I think. What do you think? A hundred percent. I mean, I think you could see at Leeds whenever the game went into broken play, apart from Bash and Stevens, we looked quite leggy. Mm. I think I think he saw O'Connell trying to gallop at the wing, and he's so fit, Jack, as the centre half goes. But even he was probably looking a bit leggy and decided to stay back a lot more. Um, you know, and we've had to rotate the side a lot as well. Uh, not not for injury, but Wilder's managed the squad really well, actually. Mm. Uh, we discussed that on the last pod, but I, I certainly think a bit of, especially warm weather training, you know, a, a bit of a go away. It's amazing what a bit of sun and heat can do, isn't it? Especially when you're resting and recuperating. Just take them away as well from this whole, the next two weeks, 
it's international duty. No one cares in the championship. Mm. <laughs> no one's bothered, let's be honest. It's uh, All we're going to be doing as fans is staring at that league table. And, and, and if they were around any of the local press, the questions are just going to be building and building because we're now in the driving seat. So go away for a while, get some sun on your backs, rest up, do a bit of warm weather training, work on some things and plenty of time to prepare for Bristol City as well, which is a really good thing, I guess, because that is, one of, I mean, technically, according to the league table, it's our toughest game left. Yeah, yeah. True. I'm pressed in a way will be, but you know, that's you know it's one of the toughest games left. So it's uh, it's uh, it's good to have that prep time. And uh, yeah, I, I I see no negatives in this whatsoever, unless they all go out on the piss up. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, hopefully not. Um, yeah, there's there's one final jinx for us to slay this season, and that is uh, I don't believe we've won coming off an international break. Yes. However. This is going to be the first time we get a home game after an international break. And most of those games have been quite tough as well. I can't remember all of them, but it was definitely Bristol City away. You know, that was just as they were kind of rounding into form. So no real shame in, in what we lost a very close game there that we probably could have won, to be honest. Rotherham away was, uh, you know, one of them games. All You know, loads of teams have basically had that done to them at Rotherham. Uh, and then I don't know if it was West Brom at home or if there was there was another game that we lost or drew after an international break as well and didn't didn't look great in it. So yeah, that particular jinx is not worrying me hugely to be honest. Especially yeah, coming off the effort that's gone into the last two games. Yeah, I think it I think it will benefit us. I can't see how it it doesn't benefit us unless you uh, really believe in stupid jinxes. And if you do, then it's been a bad season for you because we've smashed basically all of them as the most about yeah. yeah. Sky, we we don't win on Sky. We don't beat the top six at home. We don't beat top six away. Yeah, can't. Yeah, can only win Yorkshire derbies. We might lose <laughs> the bottom. I don't know anything you can imagine. It's just it's been a wonderful, wonderful season. And no matter what happens from now on. You know, it'll it'll be a wonderful season regardless. Yeah, yeah. in this team. But uh, if if that win doesn't convince any doubters whatsoever, you know, even those that are, are optimistic and that are passionate about United, but still have that nagging doubt of this is United. I've, I've never known a team with this mentality when I've supported United in my lifetime. Yeah, no, I, very similar. It's it seems to be the strongest mentality, and and, and players like you know, we've known players have grown with the squad in terms of O'Connell and Fleck and and Baldock and Stevens, but players like Norwood can only be helping that. He's, he's done this. I mean, this is water for ducks back to Ollie. Yeah. You know, he's, he's done it two seasons in a row now. There's no pressure whatsoever. That's why he laughs his way through important games because mm. it's just three points and it's just see it as that. Go out, win the game. Don't lose it if, you, if you're away from home. And that's the other thing. You know, don't, don't decry. If we, if we draw a game and Leeds win a game and they go above us again, don't decry. It's, it's not a big thing. If you can take more points and wins away from home, rather than losses, then that's probably going to be enough because, quite frankly, I think both of us will probably take maximum points from home. Yeah. Apart from maybe, like I say, apart from maybe that Villa game. So, just got to just got to win the home ones and try and try and do what you can in the away ones and see where that takes you. Yeah, definitely. All right, mate. Uh, conscious, we run out of time there. So, uh, yeah. Any any final thoughts or uh, everything covered? Uh, just pretty much everything covered, and yeah, can't, can't believe the win. You know, I mean, yeah. you know, I, I was optimistic before, thinking we might get a point. We, I could see us winning if we played really well. But when you wake up to on Monday morning to that win again, and you just think, "Wow, we actually went and did it." Yeah, you know, what, that, it, what a statement! Exactly that. Then exactly that, mate. You know, it might not mean much now, but come the end of the season, that if we get promoted, that will be the season-defining victory. It will be, regardless yeah. of what came before it, because it's the one that turned the tide. So, come on, Blades. Exactly. Fantastic, mate. Thanks so much for uh, giving up your time and coming on. And uh, yeah, I will speak to you later. All right, mate. Cheers. Cheers, buddy. Take it easy.